Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Can you talk a little louder? I can. That's probably my my failing for podcasts is I'm, I have a quiet, quiet voice. Oh, you're fine now. How about now? That's too much. Okay. Are you hungry? If not, you will be. I'm Andrew Fien, and this is Beat Check, a new podcast from The Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with our food critic about his favorite new restaurants in town and how he compiled his much-anticipated list. But first, allow me to introduce myself and this new podcast. I cover transportation issues for The Oregonian and Oregon Live, but I started my journalism career on the radio back in 2006. Let's see if I remember how to do this. Okay, so I'll probably sit like this and keep talking to Andrew Thien. That's great. You sound, you sound great. Okay. Beat Check is a new podcast where I'll take a closer look at the stories and issues that matter in our region and bring them to you once a week. I'll introduce you to my talented colleagues, and they'll share their latest work. I think for a lot of Portlanders, this is illustrative of the way they've seen the city change over the last 10 years. And you'll hear their expertise and analysis. You'll also get to know their personalities. That's right, man. We both have two kids. It's kind of wild. We'll talk about big issues. Everything that Uber stood for kind of was how they entered this city. And big personalities. I'm a little bit of a Don Juan but when it comes to subjects, but, you know, they're always in my heart. And, you know, who doesn't love Darcel? It's going to be fun. Subscribe to Beat Check with the Oregonian anywhere you get your podcast to hear the latest episodes. On this week's show, Michael Russell takes us to Eam, his 2019 Restaurant of the Year. And he talks about some of his top 10 new restaurants in Portland. We also talked about bikes, the latest trends in Portland dining, and how he eats all that food. My name's Michael Russell. I've been the restaurant reporter, critic, guy at the Oregonian for eight years. Michael, your job, I think, is one of the more popular ones in the city. People are always looking to read your stuff. Um, how much work do you put into these lists? Because it, it, it's a pretty remarkable uh, amount of reporting that you put into it. Right. So for this year's list, I went out and ate at maybe 60 restaurants um, over the course of the year to put together my best new restaurants of 2019 list, which came out recently. Sometimes I've done more work than that. Um, and some of it is just in the process of doing my job, I try to check out every new restaurant. I missed, I think, two newer places this year, which I I try to be very um, completist with it. But one of them was only open Fridays and Saturdays, like every other week. Mm -hmm. And the other one had kind of just opened right before the guide came out. So um, I'll rope them in next year. How often uh, do you go back to a restaurant? Are you going back to each of these multiple times, or is it only once you get to to the process of these are, I think, the top places? Right. So for the 10 places that ended up on the best new restaurant list, I went back to most of them 
I'd let's say an average of three times. I went to some of them four times. I went to all of them two times except for a really expensive tasting menu place that where it's a place called Arizo that specializes in they call them trash fish, but basically it's sustainable seafood. So they harvest some of it themselves. They get bycatch from fisher people, um, fish that gets caught inadvertently while they're going after more lucrative catches. And our bill came to something like $430, $450 for two people. So it's hard to justify that expense uh, more than once. And I kind of got the picture of, uh, of a place that has a really noble uh, uh, goal. I didn't even really absolutely love the food, and that was reflected in my review. They, they came in at number nine on this year's list. But everywhere else, two, two, three, or four times at least. It seems like a dumb question, but how do you how do you do that? How do you I'll eat? Be yeah, how do you be? How do you eat so much delicious food and uh, and go back for more? Is it exhausting, or is it? Uh, do you have to pace yourself? What's it like? I think I was sort of lucky in that I was born with a sort of natural voracious appetite and even going back to before I was a journalist before I got into food writing I really could eat a lot and I had great metabolism I think as time has gone on that has sort of worn away so I'm trying to work out how to um, how to balance that because it, it is like you what is the opposite of a calorie deficit, a calorie uh, surplus surplus? It's a daily calorie surplus every time you go out to eat because, you know, you go out to a restaurant with your partner or with some friends, maybe you order four, five small things to share. That's kind of the modern way of dining, but I'm probably going to order more like seven, eight, nine, just to sample a wide range of the menu. And then I'm probably going to go somewhere else afterwards. So <laughs> there might be two meals in a night. Um, yeah. And, I guess the key is just, you know, trying to work out a little bit. I ride my bike everywhere to all my reviews, um, unless it's totally unfeasible, um, infeasible. And then, I don't know, going to the gym. I started going to the gym this year, so that's a big change for me. And you're, you're chasing around a toddler, too, so I know, how, I know how that keeps you busy. That's right, man. We both have two kids. It's kind of wild. That's a little fact. Hey, we're talking transportation. I am the transportation reporter. You bike around to, to all your restaurants. I do. That's some breaking news here on the pod. <laughs> um, I'm not the only critic that does it. I think uh, Robert Sitsima, he writes for Eater New York. He's definitely a big biker. A guy named Jonathan Kaufman, who just moved here, was he did a lot of biking in San Francisco. Soleil Ho, who's the new critic for the SF Chronicle, she rides mass transportation everywhere. Um, so there's a few of us out there and it, it I, I think it'd be really hard to do in LA. Sure. Uh, but even LA there's, you know, the subway's kind of weirdly convenient. So you'd have to use like Ubers and Lyft. Right. If you're getting out of Santa Monica or East LA or, you know, you're covering a lot of territory. Yeah. I mean like Jonathan Gold, the famous restaurant critic for the times, like he was very associated with his like beat up you know, pickup truck. That was sort of any profile you read of him would include a mention of this truck and he would drive all the way out to the San Gabriel Valley looking for, you know, Chinese restaurants or whatever. But uh, I think it actually makes more sense. I, I moved to Portland in part because I wanted to live in a city where I could bike. So I've kind of kept that up as much as possible. What's your bike? Um, when you ride? That's a great question. I have two. I have a, um, a speedier uh, all city steel frame uh, bike. And I have kind of a get around town bike that's made by Linus. Um, it's a, f a five speed or actually an eight speed, uh, with a basket. And I just installed a kid's seat on the back so I can take my older daughter 
awesome. you know, up Mount Tabor or whatever. She wow. loves it. She yeah. pushes me up the hill, and I feel like in my mind, like, oh, she's actually helping me get up this. I don't think f- that works in terms physics, of physics, but yeah. <laughs> it actually works. Let's get your your list this year. I mean, there. This is a uh, speaking of bikes. This is on my ride home. Uh, your top restaurant of the year, in some ways, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, emblematic of kind of what we're seeing in Portland right now on a couple different levels with some superstars teaming up. Um, talk about your top pick. That's right. Now. This year, I decided not to overthink it too much, and I named the restaurant that has been the breakout hit of 2019 as our restaurant of the year, our number one restaurant on the guide. It's a place called Eam. They do Thai-spiced or Thai-flavored barbecue. It's the best barbecue guy in Portland, uh, Matt Vichadomini, and the sort of most important Thai restaurateur in the city of the past three or four years, Earl Ninsom. They partnered up with a guy named Eric Nelson, who's a sober cocktail savant guy. His cocktails aren't sober. All of them aren't, but he is. And so you've got Matt's delicious brisket combined with a curry from Earl and his cooks. Like, it has been – I think Portland really loves smoked meat. That's clear. We've seen that um, growing and growing in the city, particularly at food carts like Matt's Barbecue. Holy Trinity Barbecue, Bato's, and um, the one that I'm forgetting right now, uh, Bark City. And then you've all, on the other hand, Portland is sort of like, I don't know if it's the Thai food capital of America because LA has this like pretty established Thai town that, you know, if you go there, as I did once, thinking, hmm, I wonder if Portland's the best Thai city in America, you kind of get floored by what's available there just in terms of, you know, places that open at 8 a.m. with Thai breakfast that you're just, it would be hard to do that here. People have tried, and it just didn't fly. So uh, you've got two things. Portland's crazy love of Thai food, Portland's growing love of particularly Texas-style smoked meat. It came together, and it's been a hit from day one. There's been lines out the door from day one. Even on Monday night, you might wait 30 minutes, which is pretty rare for Portland. What about the rest of your list? Um, there's some some other um, big names, right, in Portland uh, restaurants, um, uh, folks that you've – kind of watched for years, um, rising to the top, starting their own shops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there's a place uh, called Bullard that's run by a chef named Doug Adams who is on Top Chef, and he runs this really nice hotel restaurant called Bullard. Again, we're talking about smoked meats here. He's from Texas, so he's sort of taking his the things he loved as a kid and elevating them to a really nice-looking hotel restaurant. Um, also open this year, which I didn't include in this list of restaurants was Matt's Barbecue Tacos, which is the Matt's Barbecue Taco spinoff that actually recently got named one of the best new restaurants in America by Bon Appetit. I'm kind of more of a stickler for, I don't put carts on my restaurant lists. I mean, it's kind of lame. It maybe is a little bit like stick in the mud of me, but um, I just like to have the restaurant list be restaurants for the most part. Well, he's, he's, he's still represented on the list. Yeah, he got he got his due at Eam, no doubt, no doubt. And actually, I think the, in terms of just the barbecue, Matt's Barbecue is the best at Prost Beer Garden in North Portland. Matt's Barbecue Tacos is the second best, and Eam is actually third. But Matt told me recently that he's about to open a, a, a like a warehouse where he's going to centralize all his barbecue operations. So hopefully that means higher quality across the board and not, you know, more generic, medium quality across the board. So you brought a lot of uh, analysis to your your rankings this year and kind of uh, t- 
took a step back and said, this is what I'm seeing in the Portland food scene, uh, some trends. So like what, what jumps out to you in your, you know, you've been doing this for nearly a decade. We've, uh, we've touched on smoked meat a lot, but that really is a thing going on here. And I, I think I said in the piece that Portland is now the most interesting or most important barbecue city on the West coast. I don't think anybody, I don't think Seattle, LA, SF or San Diego touches us, um, in terms of the diversity and the quality, like mats and those four carts that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. would be in the top 10 of any city on the West coast. And then we have places like Eam and Bullard that are, you know, elevating barbecue and doing really interesting things that you're seeing a lot of that in Texas too, but outside of Texas is kind of hard to find. Um, in addition to that, we're actually seeing a lot of interesting movement on the vegan front. Some of that is being led by carts, um, places like Dinger's Deli that make subs with their own house vegan meat that the the sandwiches just taste really good. And I'm a carnivore, but I'm, you know, that's spoken as a carnivore. They're still delicious. There's several places like that. Um, uh, a place called Peri Koshari that does this one bowl, like whole bowl, Egyptian street food dish, Koshari. It's really delicious. They top it with these caramelized crispy onions that I just love. Um, and then that vegan scene is also translating to some of our most elevated refined restaurants. There's a place that was our rising star, our number two restaurant called Berlou that does occasional vegan nights. And even their regular menu is dairy free and, you know, a lot of allergen free. Um, there's also a new place called Fermenter, which is a four seat lunch only three day a week chef's counter where you go and you pay about $20. I think it's 23 now. And you get this three-course meal. You can be in and out in 30 minutes. And the chef, Aaron Adams, is kind of like uh, kind of, he's kind of a ham, actually. He's a power lifter. He'll tell you about what music he's listening to. And he just kind of raps with everybody who comes in. And they sell, if obviously, with four seats. And now that they've been in a, you know reviewed in the Oregonian and a couple other places, like right. they've gotten a little bit busier. But they also do these bowls to go. So even if they're – even those, those four seats are booked, you can come and get a pickle on a stick or a grain bowl to go. His food is really good. It's really, it feels like hearty and wholesome. And again, this is a place where as a carnivore, I enjoy eating there. And I want to eat the, I want to go back to fermenter right now. Sounds good. It's a pick, a lot of pickled, pickled items there or no? Yeah. I mean, what do you mean by ferment, fermented? Well, it's called fermenter. And that is because he does a lot of fermentation. He, like, I think he opened our, my first meal there. He goes, I hope you guys like pickled vegetables. Or fer- I hope you guys like fermented vegetables. And it was like, well. If you didn't, you'd probably be in the wrong place. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, it, you might start with a little veggie salad. Some of it might be pickled or otherwise treated. And then the main course is this insanely good black bean tempeh that they make in-house. Like, I think of tempeh, I have this, like, vision of pizza a go-go on Williams, and I ordered a slice, and it's just this, like, that place is closed, by the way. That's inside joke with me and Andrew. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> on the, on the or, I don't know, what – Bella, whatever that place is on Alberta. There's a bunch of like old school Portland pizzerias. They have a vegan slice. It has tempeh and it's like basically warmed cardboard. Um, I have, that's my opinion of tempeh. I didn't think it could even be good. I know that it has this like historical roots in Indonesia and there's no reason it couldn't be good because it's just like compressed tofu. But the one they make there, which is made from black beans that they, uh, it gets sort of like turned into a cake by the, the spore. So they incubate it there. They pull it out of the incubator. They cut off a slice. They sear it. And it turns into something like meaty and strange and delicious. It's like it's like eating a steak, as close to eating a steak as you can get. 
and he serves it on this really nice roasted pepper and tomato sauce with these fermented vegetables. That's your main course. And I was like, wow, I thought I didn't like tempeh up until eating there and I was totally wrong. So, so you can still be surprised, uh, every, every time you go to a new spot, right? I mean, you, you, you never know what you're going to get. I thought walking into that place the first time that I would probably not like it because I think a lot of vegan restaurants uh, that try to go for something more upscale end up sort of playing dress up like your daughter putting on, you know, your wife's high heel shoes or whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, so uh, they they want to be nice and they're trying to recreate the experience of an upscale restaurant. But there's something about it that feels like it's missing something but this place was so quirky and weird and fun that it really blew me away so you've got this repository of knowledge from your bay area upbringing but you also travel and you're plugged into the food scene you know nationally as well as you can be without being all places at once like portland had this great run as the northwest cuisine right and salmon and you know i think of places like wildwood and um you know that whole northwest cuisine era what are we now you know, it's interesting. You can kind of like track. I like. I think the James Beard Awards are really an imperfect um, barometer of anything because, I mean, all the major national awards go to New, you know often go to New York places because that's where the media can, you know is mostly. And you know, it, it is imperfect, but you can kind of look at the wins that Portland has gotten, usually basically head to head against Seattle chefs, and think about. That 90s moment where Greg Higgins and Cor- uh, at Higgins and Corey Schreiber at Wildwood and Vitaly Paley at Paley's Place um, and Philippe Boulot at the Heathman won Portland's first four um, James Beard Awards as a as a like a moment. You know that was the you know Alice Waters influence farm to table arrives in the Northwest chefs with French training come or return to Portland and realize that there's these incredible farms just down the road and that they can make these great connections where, you know, in the case of Portland, some farmers might even personally drop off their produce at your back door, which is something that you, you know, we like to pretend that you can do that in Oklahoma city, but you know, it's just the nature of Oregon with as many small farms as we have and the climate where we can grow a lot of stuff and the urban growth boundary where you only have to drive 20 minutes and you're in farmland sometimes. Um, that all of that adds up to something really, really special. So that's kind of that early phase. And then more recently, we've, we've had a, a little run again. There was, a, there was a drought for Portland where Seattle won year after year after year. And then we saw Gabriel Rucker win not just uh, the Northwest Award, but he won a Rising Star Award. Andy Ricker wins a couple of years after that. Um, Naomi Pomeroy won. So we're kind of in another moment where Portland chefs are being recognized. I think we're actually – those awards are lagging like – four to six years behind the moment that they're recognizing. And I do think that the Seattle restaurant scene at the moment is probably a little more interesting than Portland's. There's certainly a lot more money there. So like more ideas are being thrown at the wall and some of them are sticking and some of them are actually interesting. It's not all just like Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, hobby restaurants. It's like some of them are really cool and great. And um, I don't know what the future holds for Portland. I think, Places like Han Oak, where, uh, which is a Korean restaurant that's inside the chef and his wife's home, um, you know, personal projects like that. Um, um, Eam obviously speaks to some of the specific people we have here, Earl and Matt and Eric. Um, Canard, which was our restaurant of the year last year, being an, an all-day cafe from Gabriel Rucker where they're just having a lot of fun. 
like these kind of personal, weird, quirky projects, that's where it's at. Unfortunately, a lot of the new spaces that are being opened up in Portland are in new development where the brokers who are listing the places really want existing concepts. They don't want like Starbucks necessarily, and they, or maybe they do. I don't know if they admit it, but they want like the mid-scale, the salt and straws of the world. They want, everybody wants a salt and straw or the little boutique independent burger concept. And few people are willing to take a flyer on something like brand new. Now that we're talking about it, I think one thing that jumps out to me is, you know, historically, maybe in the last decade or so, there've been a lot of like Kurt Huffman places, right, that have been either maybe not on your list, but expanding in the city or creating spinoffs. Um, it seems like there's a new wave of, uh, you know, independent companies. Or, or are these uh, operations backed by some of the restaurant groups that we that we know? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So both our rising, Restaurant of the Year and our Rising Star are backed by Earl Ninsom, uh, who is a Bangkok-born... Uh, basketball playing, uh, you know, marketing was majored in marketing. Uh, uh, he comes to America and he's worked in, worked in Thai restaurants all around town. And then I think kind of, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he kind of saw what happened at Pock Pock. I know he told me that when he walked in there the first time, he was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And he pretty quickly opened this place, Paddy, on Burnside and 28th that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if he'd like me saying this, but it, it feels a bit like a pock pock, you know, hey, all right, po- the lines are long at pock pock. Let's go to Paddy. It's like right, right. Thai street food. Some of the dishes are mean a lot to Earl personally, but from there, he's just on, been on this crazy run. He opens Langban, which is this Thai tasting menu in the back that serves really elevated Thai food. And then more recently, uh, Eam, our restaurant of the year, and um, as well as Bear Lou's, our rising star. So that's an incredible run for him. Um, Bullard yeah, is... Hot, yeah. And hot yai. Oh, my God. I know. And that's that's hilarious because you could almost look at the EAM Award. I shouldn't even be saying this, but you could almost look at the EAM Award as being a belated love for Matt's Barbecue and hot yai. I mean, Matt's Barbecue was our a cart of the year three years ago, but those have been two of my favorite food world openings of the past five years. So uh, they're both great. And then Bullard is backed by, I, I think they're called Holler Hospitality Group, but that's uh, a woman named Jen Quist, who's the sort of other face behind Bullard and its sister bar, Abigail Hall. And uh, she's up and coming. I hear rumors of a second thing that they're going to do, and we'll see if that pans out. Uh, Kurt Huffman, uh, you know, definitely had his finger on the pulse and still does in a lot of ways. He is behind the McKellar Beer addition. Uh, He's also involved in the new Kex Icelandic Hostel, which is going to have an Icelandic restaurant or Icelandic Northwest restaurant. He also has moved big time into the beer sphere. Like he runs this beer bar, Loyal Legion, which has like 99 taps of Oregon beer. It's very popular. Lardo, the sandwich shop, which is his, uh, you know, him and Rick Gencarelli's place. They are secretly one of the best beer bars in the city. If you go to the Lardo in Southeast, they always have an interesting list. They're always doing cool beer pop-ups. They just had uh, like this Nashville hot chicken place, Hattie B's, came into town, and they were pouring beer from Nashville, like six kegs. Like not a lot of people can make that happen the way Rick and Rick and his team can. Like they're very, I think they have deep roots in the beer scene, both from his time in Vermont and Boston and here now. And they have this crazy happy hour. I think 20-ounce pints are like $3 during happy hour. 
It's hard to beat. Well, thanks for taking the time, Mike. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Beat Check. Check out Michael's reporting, restaurant reviews, and food rankings at OregonLive.com dining. Check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com commuting, or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thiem. Until next time.